0: are you doing? I'm doing wonderfully and you? I am doing well. Excellent. I'm happy to be back here at Sarah's Space. <laughs> you laughing at my <laughs> emphatic introduction. I feel like I should have you know gotten up and down a dance step to that. <laughs> it is Sarah's Space. It is Sarah's Space yes.
1: Thanks for inviting all of us into it. Oh absolutely I so enjoy it. What a joy. Talking about that... <laughs> I'm getting really good at saying this through this. <laughs> I'm going to be a professional <laughs> That's segue. That's wonderful. All the people that are here, all the people that are listening, yes. me, myself, and mm-hmm. I, and you, and you, yourself, and yourself. <laughs> all of us. <laughs> all of us here we... together.
0: Let's talk about everyone together. Relationships.
1: Let's talk about relationships.
0: Relationships. Oh, what a splendidly complex and interestingly difficult concept (laughs) well relationships okay so my biggest perspective on relationships having been in one now for 20 years and the one that I was in before that was for 10 and a half years Mm -hmm. and then of course our relationships with our families and our relationships with our friends I have one friend that I've been friends with since I was 11 which is such an amazing gift. I have to say that relationships are rife with difficulty. They are a constant, a constant holding of the scales and weighing in the balance the value of give and take, the value of compassion and understanding, the value of cooperation, the value of, I'll use this word, and I'm going to explain it, giving in. Because I think that if we really are in a relationship in which we want to be our complete selves, and we want to value that other person as completely as possible, there has to be an enormous amount of honesty. Honesty in itself is literally a whole other subject in which I can quote my dad from a very young age, I think I was around 11, We were having a conversation and I said quite officiously that I was always going to be honest. I really didn't lie. I didn't like lying. I didn't like white lies. I kind of felt like it was always a waste of time and I'm also redheaded. So I always blushed and felt hot. So I thought, well, what was the point of even giving that a try? Because it's all over my face that I did it. And then thirdly, it made me feel sick. And then then there was that that panic. Okay, what was the lie I told? Because if it comes out again, I'm going to have to have my details straight. So why not just skip it altogether? My dad looked at me and he said, you know, honesty is beautiful, but it's very difficult. And he said, and most people don't like practicing it. They may give lip service to it, but they don't actually like practicing it. And you have to remember that if you say, I want to be 100% honest, that means that you're going to hurt people. Mm -hmm. And I thought about that and I... I listened and I remember digesting that. I don't know if I fully I don't know if I fully appreciated all the dark aspects of it at that moment, but the first one I thought of was, well of course, let's use the simplest example. Someone comes up to you and they're wearing something that you really dislike. You just dislike it. You don't like the color, you don't like the design, you don't like the style of it. It's, it's not even really about how it looks on the person, but you personally don't like it. And they say, Oh, I just got the blah blah blah. What do you think? Well, are you going to be honest and say, well, I don't like it at all? Me, personally? Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I I do like being honest. Mm-hmm. But, yes, I also uh, don't want to make anyone feel too wrought about their own personal choices mm-hmm. that were good for themselves. That's so why I would say, well, look at that shirt. <laughs> oh, that's a hysterical mm-hmm. comeback. <laughs> That is quite <laughs> shirt.
0: I am so glad you found that shirt for yourself. Oh, that's an excellent response.
1: Yeah.
0: And I think I think I was just going to say that's one that one should use with children too. Mm-hmm. Because if uh, you're working with a young person and they they say something or they express something or they they show you something or they come, here's a big one. All of my students seem to leave the studio at in June, when they're all 12, it seems. I'm, um, of course, being highly dramatic here. And then come back in September when they're all 13, they've gone to grade 8 and makeup. Yes. Like, exactly. Yeah, Yes. Exactly. Or the hair dye. Or the... It, now it's all happening so young that I... You know, honestly, it's got no age. But it used to literally feel for me between grade 7 summer and grade 8 fall, it was just, who are these people? Yeah. Who are these young things that I just saw leave so fresh-faced and hopeful, coming in like these jaded old women that have been putting on makeup for 15 years? So... They would say, well, you know, sometimes it would be that almost combative, slightly rebellious, I dare you to Mm
1: -hmm.
0: respond. And then a lot of the time it was always some of that slight question behind, which was, what do you really think, Sarah? Mm -hmm. And I knew that it was imperative that what I thought was a way of honoring their feelings about self-exploration, which is what we need to do when we're young to figure out who we're going to be Mm -hmm. and where we're going to go. And I would say, well, what do you think? And then oftentimes they would look, turn, look in the mirror and say, well, I think maybe I put too much. I said, well, then maybe experiment with something else tomorrow. Mm. And then a lot of them, the more clever ones that would um, chase me down for a different response would say things such as, well, did you ever do this? And I would love to tell them the story of me in grade eight, where I experimented with green mascara and purple eyeliner, because I read somewhere that purple brings out green eyes. So why not pair the two? (laughs) that my green eyes could shine from between the 17,000 layers of green mascara. And and might I just paint the picture of this green with this lurid, chrome combination between barf and rotten kiwi green. It was really quite something. So, yes, we all experiment and we all look for what makes us feel good and and hopefully we find it sooner rather than later. So, honesty can be a double-edged sword. If you're being honest with the intention of sharing your heart and having that person trust you implicitly and feel faith in who you really are, then you will do it gently and you will do it with love and you will do it in a fashion that they might still feel a little bit prickled by. And maybe they have to say, well, that kind of hurt my feelings. And so then you can say to yourself, say not, sorry, not to yourself, but say to them, I apologize. My intention was never in hurting your feelings. I was just being honest about my own opinions about this, I preface almost everything I feel strongly about, which is just about everything, with this is just my opinion, because especially when I'm speaking to young people, I'm not trying to change their minds. And if they're asking me something, there was one one night that I know you'll smile at this. One of my um, senior students uh, had a birthday and on their birthdays, the... Tradition has, as you know, you're smiling, so you remember. The tradition is I'm so honored by people showing up on their birthday to class because mine's on a national holiday. I've never had to do anything that I always want to give them a birthday gift. So in the old days, it used to be well, because we would always be having ballet class, you could choose a contemporary class or a potato class or a stretching and strengthening class or a massaging out particular muscle groups and learning about anatomy class. I don't remember exactly when someone got wind of the fact that when they were massaging and stretching, they could talk to me more. (laughs) But what I remember is that suddenly all those other options just disappeared by the wayside. (laughs) And so now what happens is they've actually gotten it so technically, um, shall we say, clarified, that they will ask for, they call it Sociology with Sarah, which is a whole other podcast. Yeah, well, and it's not. Obviously, it's not sociology at all, but it, it has a nice ring to it. And people will bring a theme of questions. And, and so usually we are stretching and, and doing something physiologically low-key, and I am answering questions. This day, this young woman wanted me specifically to answer, what did she say? I would like to know things about you that would be considered unpopular, So she wanted to know my unpopular views. And the first one she started with, drumroll please, was about Disney. And so we had a a really funny class where it, and you know what's wonderful about that is it reminded me far less of sociology and far more of something along the lines of a philosophy class Mm. where the teacher or the guide brings up a subject that really could have a division and a black and white version. And they, they show you a middle path or they say well let's share our opinions as opposed to it's not a debate and there's no right there's no wrong and we're not trying to polarize we're actually trying to share and that's what they always end up being so i will always say well this is just my opinion and then the students will usually say what we know you base your opinions on something so what is that based on so then i'll fill it out and then at the end i just say i'm you know i in the case of disney and some with some of their faces i could see i just said i I wasn't trying to change anyone's mind and I absolutely do not disrespect or judge anyone that has different opinion than myself but I just have this one and and just like I don't want you to have your opinion changed I'm not here waiting for you to sell me something I'm not going to buy so that's a different type of honesty in the sense that I'm in a position where they're asking me an opinion. And in this case, it's, it's one that's not a popular view, uh, quite an unpopular view, actually. And I'm sensitive to the fact of that. I'm also sensitive to the fact that I know that many of them are on the opposite viewpoint. And I have no desire to change that for them. And because I'm so clear about that, and because I'm so honest about that, and I really genuinely am, I'm, I'm not doing podcasts to try and Bring everyone to Sarah's space. That this is the new, you know, we're all going to drink Kool Aid and lie down stare at the stars and then never wake up again. <laughs> this is this is. We've been waiting until you would get to episode four to let you know we are not doing Sarah's space, the podcast of cult or cod, cult podcast. It's just it's just a sharing. We're all just having a relationship with one another. In relationships, we share. We share our feelings and the way we. uh, view the world and, and our perspectives and where those points come from. So I feel that relationships need to have, and I'm, I, I guess inadvertently am saying a great deal of respect behind all of them in order for them to be truly honest. They have to be respectful because that means that you take into account how that other person is faring, how they're feeling, how they are uh, digesting what you are saying, going through, acting out, etc., And I, I can genuinely say there's not a, uh, probably I'm just, I'm going to pause for a second because I'm going to think to myself, is this, I don't really see a huge difference between a close friendship and a marriage. The biggest difference is a level of intimacy and that you're generally sharing a dwelling uh, and oftentimes you're sharing a child. That's a huge difference. If you're in a marriage and you're sharing a child, it that the difference for me, in my opinion, is that because there's another human being that has both of you in their being, and they're ostensibly with you, every day you deal with a little bit of your husband or your wife or if you happen to be in a same gender relationship and you have that child has taken one of your eggs and been there's, there's always a way of seeing the other person in that child. Mm. And that can be both challenging and incredibly rewarding because at moments where you get flustered or, or frustrated or impatient with your mate, the child is an innocent version of that. They're at the beginning. And you need to look at that as, as hope and promise and maybe a way of of helping them navigate waters that you see in the adult version of that same personality trait, maybe it went too far in the other direction. So I have to, I have to say that my opinion about that's quite strong, that for me, a child changes everything in the way that I look at my husband, because she, she really does possess a great deal of both of us and, and negative just as well as much as positive positive. And some of the negative traits she's displaying, yeah, they're ones that drive me crazy in my husband. But I love her without a doubt, without a speck of any judgment and unconditionally that it reminds me, then why wouldn't you offer as much of that as you could for your own mate? Mm-hmm. Just because they're adult doesn't mean that they should be judged on a different scale. So it's almost like a little daily, um it's like, she inadvertently is standing there with this invisible, instead of a halo, <laughs> which isn't there, um, she's standing there with these invisible hands above her head that just keep weighing in the balance. Mm-hmm. So it reminds me, breathe deeply and take a moment. So in the patience that I, I sometimes have to force myself to display to her, it allows me to take a breath and have more patience for my husband. Mm-hmm. In regards to a, a relationship that doesn't have a child to mitigate that particular aspect I think that a lot of it has to do with taking space and time. Mm-hmm. And by doing that, I, again, there's no perfect recipe and every person is different. Some people say, I need to, if we're having an altercation or some sort of emotional difficulty expressing ourselves to one another, you know, you go sleep in the other room or you leave the house or go stay with a friend or what, what there, I don't think there should be a specific set of guidelines or boundaries. I think that it should be respectful and that you look at each and just say, we can't actually get any further with this right now so so both people have to recognize that if one person's saying that that doesn't mean that you get to just go and berate on top of them and attack them when they're down or vulnerable or actually trying to communicate effectively because that is very effective communication Mm -hmm. so i feel that relationships uh also of the same gender variety that are just friendships or of a opposite gender variety if one is lucky enough to be able to have that that is of a platonic friendship, I think that they all need the same amount of time, space, respect, communication. I I mean, I capitalize communication. My husband will roll his eyes when he listens to this podcast, because that is that's my thing. And when he's really angry with me, he will say that I am not a good communicator because I'm not listening to him right now. And when we're when we've resolved our situation, we're talking later. I'll say, well, actually just so we're factual here, I was a good communicator, communicator because I was still talking. (laughs) He doesn't like that response. And obviously it's very sarcastic Uh, because a good communicator listens as well as speaks and listening is extremely difficult to do, Mm -hmm. especially when it's contentious Mm -hmm. because you are, and as anyone that has ever gone to any couples counseling or any counseling period, there's a certain amount of, um, well, there's a protocol too that one's supposed to follow. And what I hear you saying is what I heard you say, what I think you're saying. So in other words, you listen to the entire thing and now you're you're putting it into your own words. So you're making it clear they're your words, they're not the other person's words. Mm -hmm. Because that's usually what we do is we put our words on someone else. And in counseling, they'll call that mirroring. And then usually what you're mirroring is the least positive quality of yourself and then that leads the relationship in a totally negative direction so I feel like communication and respect and patience and understanding and self-awareness and I I think self-awareness for me is that I, I, I think I've said it before in another podcast that if you're constantly looking into a mirror or to someone else for approval it's going to be a very unhappy place And it's not fair to place that type of responsibility on any other human being. I think that when it's in a really sharing, loving place, we naturally make each other feel good. We naturally give each other a sense. I'll I'll use some corny, maybe overly romantic phrases, but they can be used platonically as well. But you feel like you have a place, you belong, um, you feel comforted, you feel familiar, you feel that they're familiar, you feel taken care of, all those things. But at the same time, I guess what I want to say about that is, is that that's, that should be reciprocal. There's not one person that should be receiving all of that and, and, or demanding it silently or in other ways and then take umbrage when it doesn't appear. And the other thing on that same conversation is, is that, and I've certainly been at fault for this, is you fall in love. And when you fall in love, you fall in love with a human being that ostensibly you've gotten to know. And you've learned their flaws and you've learned their positivities and you've learned uh, maybe their potential for growth in particular aspects of their life or traumas that they've suffered that have caused certain, uh, certain aspects of them to maybe be a little bit more repressed or more difficult to communicate. Or there's We're we're a composition of so many life events, after all, especially as adults. So how dare you come back to that same person one, two, three, four, five, ten years down the line and say, well, I don't like that you and that person could really look you in the eye and say, I've always done this. I've always been like this. And that is heartbreaking to be at the receiving end of. Mm. And I, I know I've been at the receiving end of it. And I've also handed it out. And it's just, it's such poor communication. It's usually said in such a hot moment of anger. And it is, it is brutal to receive. And really, if you're being open to the moment and you're giving it, it's brutal to give because you know, you're being hurtful. Mm -hmm. Because it's almost as though this person's blindsided you and how dare, and and that's not, that's not how a relationship starts. Which brings me to another aspect of it. I feel like today, I want to say in society today, I think, And I'm not going to blame one thing, because I certainly can say that I myself was an incredibly romantic teenager. Oh, my goodness. Actually, I think I started it way before teenagerness. Teenagerness. That's great. Sounds
1: about right. Sounds about right. (laughs) (laughs)
0: It's a whole new state of mind. When I was, let me put this into perspective. When I was eight, so my daughter's age, I was in grade three, and I had fallen in love with a boy in my elementary school. I called it falling in love in grade one. So I had already, quote unquote, known him for two years. In grade three, uh, I'll just take it back to the fact that would make you eight, right? The maturity level is questionable for everyone. And for males, we're talking about six. So we're talking playing and chasing and yelling and jumping and maybe learning how to write tidy and maybe learning that you like to organize and maybe learning that you like dolls or don't like, you know, we're talking fairly rudimentary, simple concepts that are not roasting with complexities. I actually remember spending a recess out in a tree, the crook of a tree with my back up against the taller part of the crook and my feet against the lower part of the crook, watching this boy named Trevor running around the field with another boy named Daniel who is his new friend, and thinking to myself, I wonder if I went and walked across the crosswalk right now and got hit by a car, would Trevor run towards me and pick me up and cradle my head? And would we, would we look at each other deep into the eyes as he screamed out, no! And would my head loll back as I passed out? Because I would never die in these romantic fantasies. I would just pass out. <laughs> is that not the most hysterical thing? I had a very happy childhood. I had an amazingly, seriously overactive imagination, clearly. And I read a lot. Mm. And I read quite advanced novels at <laughs> a young age. Clearly of the more romantic nature. I think by the time I was 14, at that time, the romantic novelist, Danielle Steele, was still writing her own material. And she had already, she's was prolific. Now she's got a ghost, seven ghosts, several ghost writers. I think she's got something like over 50 books published. Mm. At that time, she had about 20. I'd read all of them. Oh, I could probably tell you the exact formula that everyone, no, seriously, I had some weird romantic bents. And it's funny because as an adult, I have to say, it was almost like I eschewed every single one of them and said, absolutely not Will I go down that path. Because sometimes I think to myself, I'm painfully unromantic. I I get too realistic and, and too cynical. But that romantic aspect, which was so heavy in me, I now seeing as being sort of widely accepted as the norm. Mm. and that it's being publicized and and put out there societally and in media as a constant, that romance is it. And romance, of course, is the first blush of everything. And scientifically, I think we could say it's within the first year of every relationship. It, yes, it, it, it's to do with intimacy. It's to do with sexuality. It's to do with sharing things you've never shared with anyone else. It's to do with um, telling things you've never told anyone else. It's to do with feeling accepted and wanted and uh, adored more than anyone else. And then reality hits. And when reality hits, you realize that that person is just as flawed as you, and you still have a long life ahead of you. And you have a relationship that did have that beautiful stage of romance in it, which is a necessity and a beauty to humankind, in my personal opinion. It's like the animal's simplify it so much more than us in the sense that they both look at each other they do their little animal mating dance and the next thing you know they're mating and then they if they do mate for life they they do their little mating dance every single spring all over again they just keep it simple and no deep long conversations at 11 o'clock at night over a cup of hot cocoa uh the expectations are obviously of an animal nature without all the complexities of the human nature but i think that hearkening back to that simpler paradigm would be beneficial so that we can remember that it's beautiful that romance is a stage of a relationship, but it is a stage. One can keep romantic feelings for one's partner 50 years into a marriage. One can keep romance in a relationship 50 years into a relationship, but to expect the day in and the day out to be like the first year or like the television shows you or the movie shows you or YouTube shows you or some song or some poetry or some book is such ridiculous high expectation of yourself and your and your partner that it's it's going to lead to heartbreak. And that's why there's a 50% divorce rate. Because people run into it, in my personal opinion, again, a very strong opinion, so overcome with those initial feelings and quite often so hastily and without giving yourself that time, oftentimes your own time to grow up. And and figure yourself out and figure out your ugly bits and figure out your difficult bits and figure out the parts of you that you don't love and you're gonna have to work on for the rest of your life before you suddenly burden another human being with them in the guise of romance and trust and then expect them to deal with everything. You know, I feel like I feel like relationships would be better off if everyone gave each other a lot more space to be imperfect and a lot more space to be ugly, and I use that word not about anything to do with superficiality, but to do with inside. Because I'm going to actually segue this into something that I told you in the past really bothers me. And that's when people say, love you. And they say it in a casual sense. Or love you, or, oh, I love you so much, Sarah. Or I feel to my deepest being that no, you don't. Why do I think this? Not because I think poorly of myself. I hope that at some point you will love me because we have such a deep relationship, but that means you'll see me when I'm ugly inside. And that means you'll see the dark side of me. And that means you will accept that that is also part of the Sarah that you think you love. Because I think that that is, that was at the largest event in my young twenties, in my, in my twenties period in that real love to me, that was going to last for a lifetime. The type of relationship that I wanted to have, that did have the formal concept of marriage, was something in which I felt like I could be ugly and still be loved. And I knew. I I guess that's one of the the downsides of having unconditional love from your parents. If if you're in a more conditional relationship with your parents, which I don't recommend to anybody by any means, you you grow you grow used to being judged. You grow used to having conditions on the way you behave. You grow used to hearing things like. Well, why are you acting like that? Mm -hmm. But when you've been given complete, unequivocal, unconditional love, yeah, I guess I kind of expected it from my long-term partner. And when I was given comments such as, why do you need to rock the boat? Why do you need to be difficult? My, My comeback inside was, I'm not being difficult, I'm being me. So if you find it difficult to accept me, then you don't actually love me. And I do feel like I'm difficult to be completely honest. I think I'm highly demanding because I'm incredibly demanding of myself and I am difficult. I'm complex. I am. I'm consistent. I have to say that I'm consistent, but my consistency is very complex. (laughs) My Mm. complexities are consistent. So it's pack. It's a package. I mean, you don't walk in and say, well, Sarah's going to be a ray of sunshine every day. For the rest of my life, and my goodness, we're just going to have simple fun, and we're going to share a beer around the campfire, and we're going to sing songs, and we're going to raise a child, and we're just going to do what everyone else does, and it's going to be great. Disney! Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, people that love Disney. Yes. <laughs> um, yes, so essentially, you are going to be fraught with um, with sorrow, and and probably resentment and bitterness, if that's what you think you're getting into, if you're getting into a relationship with me. So when people use a word that I think very strongly of and about, which is love, which to me, love is dark and light. I borrow from the I Ching, which is a Chinese philosophy about the embrace that the symbol the I Ching symbol is light and dark, negative and positive. And I think that's absolutely stunningly beautiful. And I, I want to be that human being because I'm not going to be able to get rid of my dark I'm not going to be able to get rid of my negative ever, but I'm always going to be working on it. And I'm always going to be working on, if it comes out, being able to express it in a manner that is not hurtful to someone else. Because realistically, our negative and our, our darkness and our ugliness, it's not about hurting somebody else. That's, that's of a sociopathic tendency or a tendency that one needs to examine, if not so of a strong I shouldn't label it such a strong term as sociopathic, but if one just wants to hurt people, then probably one has been so badly hurt themselves that they need to go have some serious work mm-hmm. done with a human being that can really help them. What do they say? Take off the layers, get to the bottom of that. There's a there's a phrase that's going around right now. What is that? Unpack that. Unpack. Okay. Yes, unpack yeah. that. So I like that phrase actually, because I think of how um, I I pack huge suitcases filled with everything. So I was thinking. <laughs> A, that's an apt one for me I need to
1: unpack and that everyone hates unpacking <laughs> yes,
0: that's true yeah. that's true because it's always at the end of something you're not going somewhere you're, you're unpacking end. <laughs> it's a oh, lot fun <laughs> oh, lovely it's a good phrase I like it so all that to say I hope that I have actually segued in a sensical fashion but I feel like relationships for me are a beautiful blend of honesty compassion understanding cooperation uh I think that it'd be fair to say, uh, contention. I mean, you do you, you're going to have contention. Communication. I think there's a lot of cs in, in relationships. Remember when you say the five C's of ballet? Well, that's the how many we have uh, let's see cooperation, compassion, communication. There was another clarity. Let's have four. Close clarity kind of ties into honesty. Let's stick a whole bunch of Cs there. Come on, people, work huh? with me here. Consistency. I like calm,
1: calm, but it's not always
0: okay. okay calm. <laughs> calm is lovely, and you know that's the other thing is is that that's it. That's actually you. You've just brought up something really important for me to address. I am not a calm person, and I am not a quiet person, and I'm not a passive person, and I think that it's really important. To understand that about your mate that you get involved with, if you are someone that needs water that soothes and needs wind that blows gently and needs embraces that quiet, I, I think it's really important to look for that because not everyone's like that. And there's thousands of amazing human beings that are bless their souls because I, I need to be around them lots of times. <laughs> but I'm not one of them. I'm I'm much more on the lines of fire. So I'm I'm the ignition underneath someone that gets soggy. I'm the fire that might warm you but it's going to warm you passionately. I'm the fire that's going to fight with you. I am not going to be doused and I'm going to fight for what I believe is the integrity behind the fire starting in the first place. Mm. So I'm going to try to get to the bottom of the fire, which were the sticks and the kindling and all the little tiny seeds that planted it in the first place. Mm which is not calm and is overwhelming for a lot of human beings. And I think that that's what I discovered about my very first long-term relationship was that after all the heartbreak and all of the garbage that got in the way of ending the relationship, I think that what I discovered was that where we were the most incompatible long-term was that he really is water and I really am fire. Mm. And I I was hurting him just by being me. And he was hurting me by just being him. And that's not fair to either one of us. And I think he's a beautiful person. And I I hope that he is being treated beautifully in the relationship that he's in. And I know that in the relationship that I'm in, we don't always treat each other beautifully because we're both fire in our own ways, Uh, different kinds of fire. But that was what drew me to him was his energy and his ability to stand his ground and his ability to feel strength, even though from the outside appearance, it, it was almost... Questionable. I mean, how could you possibly, because a lot of people perceive strength to have to have certain trappings mm. and he didn't have any of those. Mm. So I feel as though um, you bringing up that is a really important thing because I think that sometimes people get, again, romantically attached to the idea of a person or the idea of who that person might be or the idea of the potential of that person, but they're not really doing that person justice by saying, you know what, maybe that person is naturally, and I'm going to use the, the phrase, a fighter it's a very outmoded outdone phrase to me all a fighter means is that the fight happens on the outside i think every human being in their own right can be a fighter you can be a very quiet very peaceful fighter mm-hmm. you are your inner struggle comes out in this beatific sort of sanctity which oftentimes you'll see with great yoga leaders you look at them and you know their inner strength is unimpeachable but they don't display it in that showy sort of bravado way that people equate with, oh, that person's a real fighter. And I don't even think of myself in that more traditional uh, archetype either. I'm not, you know, the scrappy, built myself up from nothing. So, you know, that sort of, I'm not that at all. But I think that when I think of fighter for myself and I'm talking about my own inner world, I think certain feelings will come upon me or certain thoughts that I find negative or deeply flawed in their reasoning. And I will fight with those thoughts before I try to let them out or before I re- before I try to communicate. Because especially as a parent, I don't want to be that type of parent mm-hmm. who just barfs things out and then watches their child's face fall mm-hmm. with damage and hurt that, yeah, children are malleable and flexible and adaptable and all these things that people like to use as <laughs> excuses when they're being hurt all the time. But they do have long memories as well. And, and I think that it's lovely to leave them with more good ones than negative ones. I mean, it's not always going to be good. Let's be realistic. Life, is, life has darkness in it. But mm-hmm. I think learning how to navigate one's darkness. Oh, here's a lot, Let me use a metaphor. To always burn a small fire bright enough to navigate your darkness in a fashion that you can communicate it aptly to other human beings. Oh, let's write it down. <laughs> Oh, I like that.
1: <laughs> it, was, it was more like a small poem than it was a metaphor. Uh, it was, some, was
0: sometimes like, a little roll. Uh, but yes, I feel like that's, and that's why I take on Bridget the phrase love you. I know that when people are saying it as part of the pop culture right now, it's said all the time in the performing arts world. Mm-hmm. Uh, adjudicators say it in competitions all the time. I loved you. Or they'll, they'll get on the, uh, they now do verbal adjudications all the time. Oh, I love you. Right. Oh, I love, and I just think, oh, it just, it it really, there's something inside me screaming when I hear that. I said, you don't know that child. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know them and you don't, you don't know who queer enough to you don't. Yeah. So for me, it's a very personal thing. I shouldn't take such a personal affront. And I, I really try not to when I see that someone is, is really innocently using it and it's off the cuff and they, and they mean it in their own way. Mm-hmm. What they know of me, they love. Well, that's a compliment. So I learn how to accept that and move forward. This is certainly not going to, you know, I'm not gonna backpedal over something what which really could be seen of seen as petty in the long run. But I think when you're asking me on a deep level, that's what bothers me about it. Does that yes it cover that?
1: It would seem that something yeah, quite fundamental has been pointed out, um, which is that
0: uh
1: yeah, inside of relationships it's important to know yourself.
0: Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think that that's a different journey for every human being as well. And I don't think it's fair for me to stick a chronological age on it whatsoever. Uh, some of us mature earlier than others. Some of us get forced into battles with life that we didn't ask for that mature us earlier than others. Some of us have traumas that happen to us that force us again into having to find maturity or to drown. I think that looking for that compatibility in another human being isn't paramount. Mm-hmm. So if you are coming from a place where you really do know yourself fairly well, make sure that the other person that you're planning on being romantically linked with for possibly a very long time, such as eternity, let's just throw that out there, such as in the concept of long-term marriage or relationships, yeah.
1: On episode five, yeah. eternity.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, I feel like, yeah, I mm-hmm. feel like, in knowing that about yourself, really get to know that about the other person. And there is no, I can't say, well, that, that would happen in exactly one year and a half. Mm-hmm. Or you would be exactly 30.1 years old. It, it happens when it happens. But really know it. Because there's nothing, I know we feel very bad when we realize that we're in the wrong place. Mm-hmm. Romantically. I know that everyone, no matter what our age, no matter how youthful a romance or how aged the romance, it's a devastating feeling to realize I can't be here. This isn't the right place for me and it's not the right place for that other person. But if you look at it in the perspective of is it really fair to stay here for either one of us? No, exactly. So it's a big decision to get involved with another human being even on the terms of long-term long-term friendship because mm-hmm. it's a lot of give and take, it's a lot of acceptance, it's a lot of learning. Is this a battle we need to fight? is this a time that I really need to voice my opinion? Is that going to do that person any good? Or is that me just listening to my own voice? Mm. And I think, that, I think that what I can leave you with that I, I realize about myself is that my whole life I've been called strong and I've been called physically strong my whole life, but I've been called personality, emotionally and intellectually strong as long as I can remember as well. I don't know if I ever thought about that from the outside. It just was. And I, I didn't question it. I didn't, I didn't even really qualify it. It's not like I thought, oh, so-and-so says I'm strong. I guess that means I just, except when it came to physicality, I would obviously, like an earlier podcast episode, reflect upon how insulting I thought that was. How could you? Because then I thought that they were seeing the strength and that to me was not as attractive as looking weak and skinny. <laughs> There's a deep sickness there. Um, (laughs) But back to what I'm talking about now, I realize that if one self describes as strong, I think it's fair to say that one self describes as knowing oneself very well. I think that one self describes as knowing what one needs quite aptly. So it is not a time to go looking for someone else to fill that for you. It is a time to really figure out okay, so this is what I need. How do I figure this out for myself? What are some of the things that I will do, such as going for a walk down by the water? Because I need to hear something much greater than myself, such as the the pull and push of the tide and the moon and the magnetic, you know, whatever. Or maybe I need to go to a chapel and I need to pray because I need to think of a deity that's greater than myself. Or maybe I need to go home and hang around my parents so I can be a child again and feel like I belong somewhere Whatever we need is our own recipe, and there's absolutely no right or wrong about it. I think the only wrong would come in is if we go to another human being and expect them to find that for us. Mm -hmm. They can only find that for themselves, and then we can share. And then we can hopefully find a way of helping another person when they need us, and they can help us when we need them, and we can help each other all the time on just a sort of day-to-day teamwork sort of level. You're smiling at me. Teamwork. <laughs> That's another episode.
1: <laughs> Maybe that should be our next episode. Maybe we will do the next episode on teamwork. Perfect. Sounds like segue. a wonderful segue. Wow. That was quite the that was quite the one.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: I feel Thanks. strongly about that one. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. Well, thank you for listening and sharing with me. See you soon, Sarah. Okay, bye, Alyssa.